We'll be in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. So when you grow into middle age and beyond, they recommend regular health checks. Uh, one site I saw that it said, if you're healthy and under 35, you should have a checkup every two to three years. And if you're over 45, it would be a good idea to be checked out annually. And uh, who here does that? Not me. Um, there are some. Yes, there are some. Uh, but the reason is people every year die of complications of illnesses that if caught early, they could have been treated or um, handled. And just because you would agree that just because healthcare in Australia is advanced and, and hopefully improving, that not everyone avails themselves of it. Not everyone goes to the doctor who could go to the doctor or who should go to the doctor. And, uh, you know, you have reasons why you, you don't want to go to the doctor. You got time and money. And, and in my case, I feel like going to the doctor means going to the doctor more, like appointments beget appointments. Um, and specialists and all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, there, it could be inconvenient. You're embarrassed because of the procedure or what, what your problem is. Uh, you think it's unnecessary or my favorite is you know there's something wrong. You know, you know they're gonna find something, so you don't wanna know. Um, so we can have different reasons. Um, but spiritually, we need to have those checkups much more often than just an- annually. Uh, at every stage of our Christian walk, we need to be willing to uh, let the light of God's word shine into our hearts and show us if there be any wicked way in us. And uh, 1 John chapter 2, it could be compared to really a spiritual health checkup where there's this checkup that we need and God will show us um, how we can pass. And that's by walking in his love. There was a Gallup study that showed doctors are more likely to uh, follow healthier practices in their patients, but that doesn't mean they never get sick. And just because Christians know Jesus and they know the way of truth, it doesn't mean we don't sin. We still need to keep repenting and keep being examined by the Lord. So let's pray and we'll get into our passage. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, for the illumination through the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, that we'd just come humbly before you, submitting to you, desiring for you to have your way in our hearts, that our lives would be honoring to you, that we would bring glory to your name. And I pray, Lord, if if our hearts are far from you, that you would draw us close. If our minds are, are occupied on something else, I pray that we could just lay aside any distractions so that we might hear what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that there'd be no division, no schism, no hindrance from us hearing your word and walking in obedience to it. So we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to fellowship together, and we praise you that you have things to say, that you are real, and you know what we need, and you're able to meet those needs. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a little recap of where we are in this book of 1 John. John's written to Christians, so their joy could be full so that they could have fellowship with God and with him, and so they would not sin. These are reasons why he wrote to them. And this suggests that we could be genuine, real Christians who are not currently experiencing fullness of joy, who are not experiencing fellowship with God or other believers, or who are stuck in sin. 
That's the implication of those things. He's writing this to correct these issues that were in the lives of Christians. So people who are born again can live in darkness. And it's almost, uh, if we see someone struggling or someone in a sin, we start questioning salvation. And that's really not us to question, for us to question. But to say, am I walking in the light? Because if I'm not in the light, then I'm not seeing things clearly. And that's something we're going to talk about. Wouldn't it be silly to assume only unlicensed or unqualified drivers smash their cars? Right? That would be pretty silly. Uh, it would be ridiculous to assume that someone who's walked proficiently for decades could not possibly fall. Well, no, if you're walking, you can fall. If you're driving, I don't care how qualified you are or experienced you are, you can crash. And so if those are true, we have to realize our faith in Christ can be genuine, but we can crash, we can stumble, we can fall. We need to realize that Christians can be lured away into the darkness, and this one could be you. We have to own that and say, okay, it's possible. Well, is it true? Do I actually have fellowship with God? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And God doesn't say this so we, could, we would be ashamed, but he wants us to come out of darkness and into the light. He wants us to have fellowship with him. So 1 John 2, starting in verse 3. It says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. John began the letter by saying God is light, in him is no darkness at all. And if we are walking in darkness, so if we're walking in sin, and we claim to have present fellowship with God, we're lying. And he just says that plainly. And so he says it here as well. That if you say, I know God and yet you're not obeying him, then you really don't know God. You don't know him like you're claiming to know him. Because if we love God, we will obey him. And uh, all of us sin, but we're called to confess our sins and repent. And I like that it says, we can know that we know. We can be assured that we know God, and we can know that we know this. We don't have to wonder and it says, if we keep his commandments. Now, the Greek word for know is gnosko. It's found six times in just our reading today and over 20 times in the book of 1 John. So it's a commonly used word. And it means to know usually by experience. So it's something that you've experienced before. You would say there is a difference between studying about malaria and contracting malaria, right? You can know, oh yeah, you, you'll have nausea you'll have joint pain. But to actually feel it, you can go, whoa, you don't want malaria. It's really rough, and it just keeps coming. Um, so it's a different thing to know about it up here and to actually know it by experience. Passing the, the written driver's test does not impart skill behind the wheel, right? Two different things. You can know the rules of the road, it doesn't mean you are fit to drive on those roads. So there's a difference between knowing something and knowing it by experience. And so knowledge of theology 
knowledge of the scripture, it does not ensure, it does not guarantee that you actually have a relationship with God, that you know him. Now this word gnosko, it's used in Matthew when it said Joseph did not know Mary until she had Jesus. So speaking of intercourse, same word. So that's knowledge. It's something that is intimate through experience. And so John says we can know, we know God, and it's our obedience that gives us assurance that, hey, I do know God because I'm doing what he says. And this, these commands are not the law of Moses, but the command that Jesus gave that we should love one another as he loves us. Now, the word liar, where it says, if you say you know him but do not keep his commandments, is a liar. That word in the Greek is derived from pseudo, which means sham, insincere, or pretentious. So really, a hypocrite, someone who is playing a part, someone who is is, uh, being deceptive. Um, And God has revealed the truth through his word, and it's the love of God not the fear of punishment that moves us to do God's will. It's not because I'll be punished if I don't do what God says, but because I love God, I want to do what he says. So hopefully you can relate to that. People these days, they're fond of saying that love is love, but God's love is not like man's love. God's love is not the love found in this world, which is fickle, which is self-seeking. Jesus demonstrated his love through what? through his death on the cross for sinners who deserved punishment, who deserved to burn in the fire of hell forever, that is love, that he chose to take our punishment upon himself when we didn't deserve that. God's love, it's eternal. God's love seeks the good of others with no thought of self. And this love keeps on giving, even to enemies, even to people who... Uh, hated Jesus, he continued to love them. He prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, McGee said this, the Christian doesn't do as he pleases, he does as Christ pleases. So that will mark our lives, obedience to God. Now through the Holy Spirit, we have power to live a life in submission to God, that keeps his commandments, that does the things that please him. People talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're often talking about like miracles or signs and wonders, prophecies and healings, and you know, that's spiritual power. But really the fundamental power of God is revealed in a person who chooses not to sin and does what pleases God. That's power. When you live a life in submission to God, As Christians, we because we know God, we have begun to deal with our sin. He has forgiven us and freed us from the penalty and the power of sin, but we have begun to take steps to correct our lives too. That we are distressed by sin. We are uh, disturbed by sin. We don't seek to do it anymore. It gives us no pleasure as it once did. So does sin distress you? Or is it just distressing when someone finds out about it? You know, there's a big difference there. And can I honestly say that I'm living more righteously? I was thinking for myself, and you can apply this to your life too. Am I living more righteously now than I was a week ago, a year ago? 
And even if I can say yes, do I want to live more righteously tomorrow than I do today? So even if you have made changes in your past, you go, oh yeah, I've, I've stopped doing that. This is now marking my life. What about, or do we want to progress in following Christ? Verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Would you agree that people love new things? New things. Great. Just, it's got to be better than the old thing, right? It's new. Whether it's the latest goss or the, the news or memes or, yeah, seriously, memes came into the picture, uh, movies, tech, scientific discoveries, houses, clothes, cars. Hey, we like what's new. And you've ever thought about the word news? It has new in it. And we have min- multiple news sources because we want a new angle on the same old story. We want to hear What's the latest thing? What's the newest thing? We watch a movie. We like it. We're already excited about the sequel. Haven't even started talking about a sequel. But I hope they make a new one. Like I can't wait to see that. It would be so cool if this happened or that. Um, and, And Paul, just as an example, he's walking through Athens. And he sees a city given over to idolatry. And people who are always looking for the newest thing. So in Acts 17, 19, it says, uh, after Paul had been preaching about Jesus, their ears perked up and they're like, what? Resurrection from the dead? This is different. Haven't heard this before. And it says, and they took him and brought him to the, uh, well, how do you say that again? Areopagus. Yes. Thank you. Saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So these people, they want something that's new. Now, Paul wasn't preaching anything new when he was giving them the gospel and telling them they ought to love one another. The the gospel was, was from the beginning. It was nothing new. And when John wrote this letter, the Gnostic heresy was in full swing. Because in those days, people often on the fringes, they would say, well, the the word says this, but the deeper meaning is the more important meaning. It's the truer meaning. And I have secret knowledge from God. And people were always looking for this new thing, this new doctrine, this new angle. They were a bit bored with the same old scripture. They wanted a new spin on things, this 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 longing for secret information, it still exists to this day. And he says, I'm not giving you a new command. It's nothing new in a sense. But Jesus, he has shown us in a new way what real love is. The demonstration of God's love was new because no one had seen love like this when Jesus came and when he died. He says, you've been aware of it from the beginning of your Christian existence. You have been born again. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. So the logos, the word, 
the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, had not changed. Jesus is the one who spoke the heavens and earth into existence. He lived in John's day. He had heard him, seen him, observed him, touched him, lived with him. And he demonstrated that that love on Calvary in a way that had never been seen before. And so Jesus, he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so the words and the life of Jesus, it shed new light on what it meant to love someone. It opens our eyes to the fact that I don't love like that. It's not natural in me. And I have to cultivate that. In the light of God's word, it reveals what God's love looks like. So people, they're looking for something new, but the old commandment to love God with all your heart and to love others, it's as new and fresh as ever. You know, every day gives us a new opportunity to love others more profoundly and truly than we ever have before. Where the way that you've loved people in the past, it could have fallen quite short of God's love. But now we have an opportunity today to love people in a new way, in God's way, beyond just paternal or maternal or any sort of earthly love. That's awesome. Because God keeps loving us all along, even when we're not loving like he is. Verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Those who know God will obey him and walk as he's walked, as he walks, giving our lives for him and others. And there were people who claimed to know God and they claimed to know him, but they were actually in darkness. And it was revealed because they hated their brother. They hated fellow Christians. They were people they couldn't stand and they wanted nothing to do with. And so this is a revelation for us. If I say I'm in the light, yet I hate my brother, I am in darkness. Period. That's the reality. If we know Christ and we love him as we ought, then we'll love other people. If we hate other Christians, we cannot claim intimacy with God because there's no darkness in him. When you love people, you want to be around them. You look forward to speaking with them. You don't try to avoid them. You actually want to be together. You're interested in what they have to say. You're curious about what's going on. You have an interest automatically about how they feel and what they're thinking, right? And the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins, so we won't be broadcasting their faults. We won't be humiliating them or shaming them or gossiping about them because we love them. We think only the best of them, even when we know they're not perfect, just like us. And we think about ways that we can bless them, not just tolerate them. To go out of your way to actually do something that you know would, would mean something to them. Now, when we avoid Christians, when we badmouth them, 
hatred begins to creep into our hearts because they believe differently, because they annoy us, because they have hurt us in some way. The Bible says if we love people, if we love God, there's no cause for stumbling in us. Notice that the stumbling, the cause for stumbling is in me. So if I'm walking in the light and I'm walking with the Lord, his light is in my life. There's no cause for stumbling in me. I won't be stumbling because I'll be able to see clearly where I'm going. Those who are in the darkness are those who stumble. And so if I'm someone who is easily stumbled, it's likely because I am in darkness and darkness has blinded my eyes. I cannot see where I'm going and I'm stumbling over things that I could clearly avoid through the grace of God. If we have been hurt, if there is offense, we are called to go to that person and to tell them that we are hurt. We have been offended. Having forgiven them to share our concerns that they be restored, expecting a renewal of fellowship with them and with the Lord. There was a really great quote in a book I'm reading called Real Love by Rick Bizet, and he writes, We must love a person sincerely before we challenge things about them that don't reflect God's character. And get this, the other person, not you, decides if your love is sincere. That was a challenge for me to think about. It's like, I'm sincere. I, I have loved them. Well, in, in a sense, they get to decide. They, know, they will know. If they're in the light, they'll see it. So I ask you, is there a Christian? Is there a brother? Is there a sister? And it maybe could be a physical brother or a sister, you know, in your family, but a Christian that you're bitter or you're angry towards. Someone that you love less, which is the meaning of hate. Hate is, it can mean loathe, but it means that you don't love them as you should. You love less. Now, if that's true, then that indicates an area of your life that's in darkness and, and only repentance can lift that shroud, which threatens to bring your whole life under darkness. So the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. We have to know that if we're quick to find fault, the problem, the cause for stumbling exists in me. The context of these verses is speaking to Christians, but let's not let ourselves off the hook and say, well, they're not a Christian. I'm doubting their salvation, so I don't have to love them like that. Well, wrong, because what did Jesus say? He said, love your enemies, pray for those who've abused you, who, who have spitefully used you. So even your enemies were to pray for them, were to love them. So it doesn't matter whether that person's saved or unsaved. You go, well, he's not my brother. It doesn't really matter. Yes, it matters, because that hatred is in our hearts. That's not of God. That would love less. Because God loves continually and completely. The disobedience of hatred, it plunges us into darkness. We perceive faults, but we are the self-righteous and blind ones. That's dangerous, isn't it? If I think that I'm perceptive of someone, but I'm in darkness and I can't see. I'm the one who's blind, and yet I'm the one who's standing in judgment. It would be very bad to be to take God's place as judge 
when I'm blind and cannot see clearly. I don't even know the facts. And I can tell you, when we finally submit to God and we stop justifying ourselves and we start loving others and we repent of the hatred in our hearts and the ungrace that we've shown, what a different perspective we will have. We'll finally be able to see clearly and have mercy and compassion and love that we don't have to manufacture. Trying to manufacture love for someone is absolutely exhausting. But love is the fruit of the Spirit, the primary fruit. That comes from being with the Lord. And we'll have his love and we can share it freely. He says, as you have freely received, freely give. And a lot of genuine Christians are out of fellowship because wherever they go, they find fault. And they can be the ones in darkness. And I think about Jesus. He came to this earth and he stayed and loved till the end. He called sinners to follow him. He ate with the tax collectors and the Pharisees. He ate with both of them. He was willing to let a woman who was previously a harlot touch him. People who were demon-possessed, he wasn't afraid of them. He loved them. Now, a personal testimony. I grew up proudly reciting John 3.16 and uh, about God's love and how, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God's love was not real in my life until I was in adulthood. And the light came on about God's love, and it actually became real in my life. It was revolutionary, and and revival was the result. When I began to actually understand that I needed God's love, and that I needed to love others as he has loved me, it totally changed my perspective of other people and of myself. Because when you begin to walk in love, you find a revelation of sin within you that you never realized. Never saw it before. Didn't know I was so rotten until I started walking in the love of God. I realized, wow, there's a lot in me. That's the problem here. See, I mistook knowledge of God as relationship with God. I had substituted good works for obedience. It's not that far off, but it's completely wrong. God's love was always there. I always knew I needed it in theory, but I was stumbling in darkness because I refused to admit I needed God's love and I needed to show it to others, to give it to them. I was born again, but I hadn't experienced God's love because I wasn't walking in his love. And so I... I, I would expect that there are some who would identify with that to some degree. If you want God's love to become real in your life, if you feel a lack of love, well, begin to walk in his love. And as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, there will be conviction of sin, your sin, not giving you insight into everyone else's sins. And our sin is the only sin we can do something about through Jesus, by his grace. So 1 John 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. 
I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Many times in his letters, John refers to the people he wrote as little children, because he was a father of the faith. He was, he was a bit elderly at this time, and he was uh, coming to them as a dad would to his kids and saying, hey guys, I'm writing to you for this purpose. I want you to understand uh, the love of God and, and how to have fellowship with God. And so really, this is not just uh, writing to these particular groups, limiting to. It's really written from a spiritual perspective to all believers. And we see that from the overlap within them. That in, in every stage of our Christian life, whether we're infants, we've just come to Christ, whether we're growing in faith or we've brought other people to the Lord, and our lives have been fruitful in that way, uh, this is for us, and this is our birthright. And as children of God, and there's no adults of God in one sense, we're all children of God, and we remain such, that we'll never outgrow our need for God's love. In verse 12, he says, I write to little children or infants because their sins have been forgiven for God's name's sake. And I love that. It's like, not for your sakes, for my name's sake. And that God would adopt us as his little children. We're not innocent children. You know, we say, oh, the innocent children. Well, we, I was not an innocent child. No. But God, he has forgiven me. He has made me righteous by his grace. The second time he mentions little children in verse 13, it's a different word. It means a half-grown boy or girl. So there's been some development. Young men, both times it means youth or young man under 40. So according to the Greek, some of you are young. I guess I'm not young anymore, uh, but I, I do feel young. I do have a young feeling, but I guess technically I don't fit there. Um, but really, it doesn't matter whether you're a baby in Christ, if you're you're becoming mature in the faith, John is writing to you. And because of the mixed order and we have the repetition, all of these are applicable to each one of us. And let's sum up why John's writing to believers. Because their sins were forgiven for God's namesake. Because they've known God who was from the beginning. Because they had overcome the wicked one. And because they were strong and the word of God abides in them. And you think, this is my birthright as a child of God. This is what marks my life. This is what God has granted to me by his grace. And that's amazing. We're forgiven. We know God. We've overcome Satan through Jesus. And we're strong in the Lord. And notice the the connection between the strength and the word of God abiding in us. God's word abides in us when we believe it and we practice it. Not just because we know it in our minds. We know facts about it. If you find yourself as weak as any other man or woman, it's because we've ceased practicing God's word. So that's how his word abides in us, is when we actually do it. Moving on to verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. In this passage, we have the contrast of loving God, loving others, and then loving the world and the things of the world. And Jesus says we cannot serve two masters. If we're really loyal to one master, we cannot love the other one. If we love the one, we can't be loyal to the other. That really we have to choose where our allegiance and our affections lie. Now, God so loved the world. That one speaking of humanity. This world in context is speaking of a world system that's sinful, that opposes God. The, the spirit in this world that's disobedient to God, that denies his reality, it distorts his truth, and hates those loyal to God. So this world that he's speaking about, it promotes humanism, sensuality, fame, power, wealth as worthy pursuits of life. It's a world of sin, of pride, greed, greed, greed excuse me, lust, ambition, deceit. It's a world of excess, of fornication and drunkenness, gluttony, cursing, and violence. This is what he means when he says the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. We're supposed to love people, right? People are in the world. He's talking about these things that will pass away. Everything that's temporal. Everything that will be destroyed in the fire of God's eternal judgment. Um... Those things we're not to love. Our affections aren't to be tied up in them. And the Bible says many have been so distracted and entangled with the cares of this world that they have rejected God. And so he sums up the world in these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If we embrace these things, we walk in darkness. So we can know we're walking in the light when we love others as Jesus loves us. We can know we're in darkness if we're either not loving people, so we're hating people, or we are given over to these things. Now the word lust, for us, it has an immediate sexual uh, connotation, but the word's not limited to that. It means craving, desire, longing, especially for what is forbidden. Now, when someone's, when a woman is pregnant, it's normal for her to have uh, cravings. Just for food or combinations of food, that under normal circumstances wouldn't be so appealing. Uh, I know Laura's eyes were open to bacon, like in a way, just, it was like a revolution in the Grise household. It was great. I enjoyed that pregnancy very much. Now, these cravings are often, uh, a, they're often accommodated, like, because there's a, there's a connection between the craving and we know that there's a growing baby. There are needs of the baby that these cravings can meet. And so it's kind of like, well, it's fine. Eat as much bacon as you want. We know it's for a short period of time. It, it's not going to last forever. But, uh, yeah, it's good. But, cause that's, we know there's going to be good fruitfulness come from it. But James says something really interesting. If you could turn to James chapter 1, verse 13. He, he uses almost this pregnancy picture. 
to show us how sin can grow inside of us. And it would be a huge mistake to think that temptation to sin comes from God. That because we're in this world, that he has uh, put a temptation before us to test us. This testing does not come from him. It comes from the sin that's already inside of me. So this hatred, it's not because that other person's a jerk. They may be a jerk, but the hatred, the problem is in you. It's in me. And God wants to deal with that. And that's why so often we're like, Lord, change my circumstances. He's like, no, I want to change you. And I'm going to use your circumstances to show you your need to change. You need to trust me. You need to love that person. Even though it's impossible for you, trust my word. Honor me. So James 1, 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So as we go through this life, there will be situations, there will be desires, there will be things outside of us that stir up desires within us. And when those two come together and we act out on it, it says that there's this illegitimate child that's born that's looking to murder us. Okay, It brings forth death. And we can try to deny our, our, our sinfulness, our carnality by willpower. And others would say, well, there's nothing really wrong about that anyway. But the way we have victory is when we agree with God that we are sinful and it's our sin that must be dealt with and put aside. When we're willing to be pierced by the light of God's word, confess our sins and seek to do what pleases him, that's where we find victory. That's where the strength is to walk in the light. Feeding the flesh, it's just going to make it stronger. We cannot placate the flesh. It has um, an incredible appetite. Right? You eat, and just because you're satisfied right after you eat, it doesn't mean you will stay that way. You will get hungry again, and that's the way of the flesh. And you notice you have a really big meal before bed. You wake up in the morning. Are you hungry? Oh, yeah. If I have a huge dinner, big dessert, I wake up in the morning, and I am hungry, really hungry. I'm thinking about food, and that's how it goes with our flesh. We feed the flesh. We just go, well, I just want it to calm down. Well, you're just giving it an appetite. And so we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Christ. And man is willing to justify self, but we're unable to do so before God. See, God, he's given us so many things. He's given us lovely things like relationships and um, healthy bodies. And, um, and idolatry and sin happens often. We take something good that's been given us by God and we use it for ourselves. We worship it instead of God. So health, for instance. God can give you a healthy body and we can idolize our beautiful appearance or our strength and use that for ourselves. 
um, money. It can be used for good. But in trying to become wealthy, the Bible says, people have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and apostatized. Uh, Food and drink, it's a blessing from God, but if we eat seeking comfort or we drink till we're drunk, we're feeding the flesh and we're not honoring God. So the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, um, there are lines God's given us that are not to be crossed or questioned. And we see that in the garden, don't we, with Adam and Eve, where he gave them, he said that you can eat freely from any tree in the garden except one. And which is the tree, the very next tree that we read that they actually ate from? That tree. And it wasn't that it was the, the fruit looked bad or smelled bad. It actually looked great and it smelled delicious and it wasn't poisonous to their bodies. We know this because they ate it and they lived for a very long time after. But it killed them spiritually because to eat was in disobedience to God. They transgressed God's command. And that's why they perished. They died spiritually that day. Had Adam heeded the word of God, the temptation of Satan would have had no influence on his decision because he said, that's not for me. Now, you remember after Jesus was filled with the spirit, he went into the wilderness and the devil came to him. He appealed to these three things. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He said in Luke 4, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, you know, jump off. The angels will catch you if you're the son of God. Again, he showed him, he appealed to his senses. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give all of this to you if you bow down before me. And every time, how did Jesus respond? It is written, God has said. And that was enough for him and it must be enough for us. This is what God has said, and this is what's true. Jesus was loyal to the Father. He was strong in the face of temptation. He refused Satan's worldly offerings. You think of the that how those things tempted Jesus? Feeding the flesh, loving fame, money, power, standing up for himself to prove a point, Worrying about what the devil might think of him. He didn't have any of that because he was true to God's word. Walking in the light. So I want to close with James 4, verse 1 through 4. James chapter 4, right after Hebrews. James writing to believers, he says, In James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So John tells us that 
Um, we're not to love the world or the things of the world. James tells us if we're wanting to be a friend of the world, uh, we make ourselves enemies of God. You ever have somebody that you really wanted to be a friend with, but they weren't so keen to be your friend? And they were like the cool one. They were the well-connected and popular one. And you're like, I, that guy would be a cool friend or, or that person. Um, and it says there, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world. It doesn't say you necessarily are a friend of the world, but you may want to be. There's things that the world can offer that are alluring and they are attractive and you can see the benefit of them. So we have to decide if we're going to love God or if we're going to love the world or the things of the world. They stand in opposition to one another. And if our affections are entangled with worldly pursuits and things, we cannot be loyal to God as we ought to be. So, it would be a real shame if you did bite the bullet and go have your health check, right, your annual exam, and to find out there was something wrong and you get three or four referrals to go to specialists and you don't go. And you just decide, ah, you know, things are going fine now. You know, maybe next year I'll go. That would be a, that just doesn't make sense, does it? You know that we do things that don't make sense? We'd like to think that our, our lives are governed by reason and that we're very sensible, but sometimes we are not sensible at all, senseless. And so should God have said to you during this message that there's a few follow-up appointments, there's, there's a follow-up that you need to do with a specialist, that's not me, it's the Holy Spirit, that's maybe the person that you're hating on, that you would deal with that and you would come into the light because he, he wants to have fellowship with you. And as long as we're in darkness, we can't see clearly. We don't know what we can't see. But God, if we will come to him and we'll trust him and his word, he's the one who will make us healthy and viable and strong. And we can be strong in him. We can love other Christians and it's not going to be burdensome to us because it's him loving them through us. And we can be part of that. You can know that you know God. You can know it. And I pray that we would all want to. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the work you want to do in each one of our hearts. Thank you for the circumstances and even the relationships that we have experienced that have really challenged us and, and actually shown us that there's darkness inside of us that you want to bring into the light. So, Lord, I pray that we'd be those who confess our sins, for you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, uh, we give you uh, our sin and you exchange it for your righteousness. And I pray that that for all of us, Lord, if there are some um, problems, if there are some sins, if there are errors in our thinking and judgments, Lord, I pray you'd bring them into the light even now and that you would show us how to please you, you would show us how to walk in your ways, and that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you tell us these things because you love us, and that you want us to abide in your love. And when we walk in your love, we can really experience it and be a conduit through whom your love uh, is seen by the world. So I pray, Lord, for your spirit to just quicken us now, 
and that you would just bring uh, the comfort and peace and joy and love that your spirit brings in Jesus' name. Amen.